Today we encounter a dizzying array of religious options. How do we know what is true? Is one faith just as good as another? Well, hello, I'm Brent Siddle and welcome to the God's Story podcast. And I'm joined today by, once again, by my co-host, Ian Reid, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And uh, by our very special guest, Mark Lanier, who's just published another new book with IVP America called Religions on Trial. A lawyer examines Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and more. And you might remember we did a, a fine interview with him several months ago about atheism on trial. And Mark is an attorney, author, teacher, pastor, and expert storyteller. He founded the Lanier Law Firm and is a recipient of the American Association of Justice's Lifetime Achievement Award. Mark was named as one of US News and World Report's best lawyers in America for nine consecutive years and as the 2013 top class action attorney in America, as well as being inducted into the National Trial Lawyers Hall of Fame. He was also named as the National Trial Lawyers Association's Trial Lawyer of the Year twice. He's a frequent guest on news shows on CNBC, Fox Business News and ABC in the States, and is a frequent lecturer at law institutions including Harvard, Stanford and Baylor. And Mark joins us now. Mark, hi. Hello, Brent. Such a joy to be back on your show. Thank you and Ian for this chance. A thrill to have you back. How on earth do you find time to do all this? Writing books, lecturing at Harvard and appearing on news broadcasts and being a top trial lawyer? It, it is a busy life. You get a billion heartbeats. You get to choose. Well, some people don't get that many. Some people get more. But if we get a billion heartbeats, then uh, you get to choose how you spend each one. And, and this is what I like to do. And I suspect you have, and I know you have a very good PA as well who keeps me in order. So that's probably how you manage to do it all. She's in charge of your diary. <laughs> yeah, I've got some great people I get to work with and, and live with. My my wife and kids were are always marvelous supporters of what I do. Fabulous. Now, what fascinates you about different religious beliefs? Well, I came to this because uh, uh, as a Christian, uh, I believe that the world is the world way it is set up and 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 determined by God. And so God God gives us a worldview within his revelation within his scripture. And that tells us that all human beings were made in his image. And if we're all made in his image, then there are certain things that are true about all of us. And I've seen this. I've seen that most people who are in their right mind at least care about truth. They know what truth is, and they value truth. And so as a human race, we tend to find elements of truth, and we grab hold of it, and and and, and we glob onto it the way a magnet does metal. It's just something that attracts us with great force. And so if God has created us in his image, you're going to find truth in the world around us. You're going to find truth in thought as you try to discern what's important, what's valuable and what's not. And, and it seems to me as a Christian, right to think that you're going to find some elements of truth within all of these different genuine religious expressions. Now, the problem is you're not going to find full truth. You're not going to find, you know, there, there are going to be areas that are absolutely critical that are missing, but you will be able to find some truth because people don't just hold to a fiction generally. At least thoughtful people don't. So I wanted to explore these religious faiths, and I've been of this mindset for 
at least 40 plus years. I took a degree in Hebrew and Greek and studied the scriptures uh, 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 in the original languages and and have for the last over four decades. And it's just, a, uh, it's what I expect to find in the world. So I, I love to do it. And then I also will add that I, because I'm a lawyer and I, I practice around the world, um, I engage people of different faiths all day long, all different places. And so I find it interesting to understand what they believe and why they believe it. What sort of legal criteria uh, or legal processes do you bring to your study of the religions in this book? Well, anytime you want to present a, a scientific truth in a courtroom, there are certain criteria that the the law has set out that you have to follow. And the reason why is they don't want junk science in the courtroom. You don't just want to pay a witness who can say, oh, I think X, Y, Z causes one, two, three. You, you've got to have solid science. And and I've, I've found this uh, uh, to be an important part of the American judicial system, an important part of finding truth. So I sat down and I thought, all right, when I examine other religious faiths, what are the criteria that I need to find that what are the questions I need to be asking to determine whether or not uh, this is an, a, a religion I might get behind, as we say in America, you know, really uh, find find my place there. And so uh, uh, I started trying to piece together criteria that I think need to be validly found in order for me to be able to say, yes, this is a fair and accurate religious belief. What sort of criteria are you using and what sort of criteria indeed are useful in seeking answers to those big questions of life? I think these criteria are all rooted in common sense and logic. I, I think we we I think most everybody has good common sense. And and the biggest problem is bringing that common sense to bear. Because the tendency for humans is to form an opinion and then interpret evidence and arguments in a way that supports the opinion they've already drawn. The social scientists call that confirmation bias. And one of the most difficult things to do is to try and consciously and objectively set aside your preconceived conclusions and look at evidence to draw a fair, unbiased conclusion. That's what we expect of juries, and that's what we expect of judges, and that's what I hope the readers will do of, of, of my book. And so I set my criteria out based on common sense and logic. So for example, the first criteria I wanna ask is, is the view, the religious view, the faith, is it objectively consistent with the world in which I live. Um, uh, you know, I, I need to know that that whatever belief system I'm going to hold on to and embrace, I need to know that it's consistent with the experience I have in this world. If it, Does that make sense? Yeah. Criteria one. Criteria number two. Uh, I need to know that my view is not only consistent with the world and the way it is, objectively consistent. But I need to know that it's consistent with me and who I am. Does it help explain who I am? Does it does it help me uh, um, come to grips with my successes and my failures? Does it help me uh, understand my 
wayward tendencies? Uh, does it help me understand my inferiority complex or my narcissism or my grandiose ego? Does it help me understand uh, uh, why I just can't lose those last 15 pounds, try as I might? I want to lose them. I know how to lose them. I just don't seem to have the willpower. You know, all of these types of questions that are internal. So does this faith explain the world outside me? Does it explain the world inside me? And then does it do so, this is my third criteria, does it do so in a way that's consistent with the outside world and the inside world? I can't I can't have one truth for the world outside and a separate truth for me. I, I recall one of my daughters uh, decided to be a vegetarian and, and she had been a vegetarian for a year. And the reason why is she didn't like the way animals were treated when they were used for the production of meat. And she'd seen one of the shows that talks about that and shows it. And she just decided, no, I won't eat meat again. And 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 that's fine. That was her objective view of the world. But I would hope that her internal view is consistent. And by that, I mean, about a year into this, we were at a breakfast buffet and she came back from the buffet with a plate loaded with non-meat items and three strips of bacon. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, Gracie, you 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 you're a vegetarian. And she says, right. I said, but look at your plate. And she looked at me and said, like I should know better. She said, Dad, well, I'm not a vegetarian when there's bacon on a buffet. <laughs> okay. Now, so you, you've got to have consistency. The explanation for the world outside us needs to be consistent with the explanation for us inside. And then I've got a fourth criteria. My fourth criteria is, is it livable? Because a lot of people have marvelous uh, splendid ideas about the world and and they can dream the impossible dream and they've got nobility that oozes out every pore and yet it's not something they can live with day by day it's not a livable um uh worldview an, a livable fate uh, uh my my fifth criteria is simply does it answer life's big questions I was riding on an airplane yesterday and the fellow that I was seated next to was um, a Jewish gentleman and he was watching a, a mini series on the Holocaust. And it was, it was, um, it, it, it was moving. You, I saw tears in his eyes. I started talking to him about it. He was telling me about his uncle. He was telling me about family members that had survived or failed to survive the Holocaust. And, and 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 he said to me, he said, how can there be a God who allowed this to happen? You know, that's a really big, important question. And, and a, a, a truthful faith needs to provide a framework for answers to those types of questions. And so uh, uh, that's my fifth uh, criteria. And then my sixth and final criteria is is does it make for good people? Does it make for a good society? Uh, I, I think all of us recognize that that we want and expect and should try to produce that. 
And so uh, does the religious faith do so? So I set out those criteria and uh, try to explain them. And then I try to analyze uh, these different faiths by that criteria. Before we get into talking about some of the specific faiths, Mark, Ian, do you want to jump in and ask Mark a couple of questions? Yeah, I've got one, one question, Mark, is that many Christians might be worried or concerned about kind of exploring other faiths, you know, kind of, and understanding them. What's your, what's your advice to them? Why, why is it important? Well, first of all, my advice is um, do so with, with wisdom and care and do so at, at, a, at a good, appropriate level of life um, because uh, what we're really after is truth. You know, the, Jesus spoke of truth, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, Satan is the father of lies uh, who comes to, to, to destroy and to steal, but Jesus comes that we might have life and have it abundantly, and that whole concept of abundance in the Greek includes the idea of genuineness and, and truth. And, and, and so as a Christian— I believe that my faith is true, and I believe that it is fine for me to look at other faiths, not only as a way of validating what I believe, but as a way of engaging other people, because you will find that other people are primed and receptive to the gospel because of elements of truth in their religious system. You just need to help bring them forward. So, um, uh, I don't. I don't fear truth. I don't fear exploring it. And the last thing I would add is uh, a parable of sorts, uh, uh, a true parable. Broccoli. Oh, I didn't like broccoli. You know why I didn't like broccoli is because I looked at it and it was green, and I was a kid, and I just didn't see how anything that looked like that could be tasty. And and I was told it was good for me. And that was another indication that it must taste really rancid. And so I was pretty much anti-broccoli. And if anybody had ever asked me, would you like some broccoli? I know I don't want any broccoli. I know what I like. I eat what I like. And I don't like broccoli. If you had asked me, what does it taste like? I'd have said, I don't need to know. I don't like broccoli. I don't want broccoli. And then I dated Elaine. And Elaine asked me to come over for dinner. And Elaine was a really neat gal that I really thought was great. And her, Elaine's mother at the dinner served broccoli with cheese sauce. Yum. And I thought, I don't eat broccoli. I don't like broccoli, but I'm not about to say that to Elaine and her mother and everyone else at the table. I'm going to have to stomach this stuff. I just need to get my water ready to wash it down. Took a bite. It's pretty good stuff, especially if that cheese sauce is on it. Mm. All of a sudden, I realized... There's something to be gained by eating broccoli. And yes, we may fear looking at other truths and other religions, but we will find in other religions some elements of truth, but we will find areas where they need the gospel, where they need the truth that Christianity imparts, and it will enrich our faith even as it opens doors for us to minister to others. Yes, and as we discussed before the interview started, I think all the major faiths speak of Jesus or point to the Lord Jesus Christ in some in some form or other. Okay, in the time we've got left, can we come on and have a look at a couple of the, the other major religions, if we may? Um, what are some of the chief characteristics of Hinduism? Because I found your section on Hinduism absolutely fascinating in your book. 
Well, Brent, uh, Hinduism is um, is an interesting faith because it is it is a true. Uh, I, I I would say witch's brew, but but I don't want the pejorative of a witch. Um, it is a, a true mashup of almost anything goes. You can have almost any faith. You'll find Hindus who believe in thousands of gods. You'll find Hindus who believe in no god. You'll find Hindus who believe in one god. Hindus who believe in three gods. You'll find Hindus who can tell you you can be a Christian and be a Hindu. It's the idea that all roads will lead to the same place, and we all just need to have peace and love with each other, and ultimately we'll find greater enlightenment as we do so, and as we go through the various in incarnations and lives that we'll have. Um, I think one of the best exemplifications of it is George Harrison's song, My Sweet Lord. Now, a lot of the listeners may not be old enough to know that song, but it was a song after he came out of the Beatles that he topped the charts with. And it's interesting because he sang the song as a Hindu song of, of worship, and he's got Hindu Vedic prayers in the song, but he's mixed in the Hebrew hallelujah, which is Hebrew for praise uh, Yahweh, praise the Lord. And, and, and so he's mixed together all of these, which is appropriate for Hinduism. As a lawyer, I find it ironic because he happened to have stole some of the melody from uh, an, another song by the Shirelles and got sued for that in, in the midst of him mashing together different religions, he mashed together different melodies from other songs. And uh, uh, he uh, uh, kind of lost that lawsuit as a result. But, but this whole idea of Hinduism is like a food buffet where you can just kind of pick and choose what you want. You just need to be a good person. And, and I, I think that there's a lot that's commendable about that, but there's also some major problems. This, for example, is that consistency problem where I can have one truth for me and you can have a different truth for you. Now, I live in the United States of America and I live in Houston, Texas, and we have this freeway. It's called Interstate 10. And Interstate 10 will drive you. If, if I go out my door and I turn right, I can drive to Los Angeles, California and the Pacific Ocean. I, I can drive as close to New Zealand as possible. <laughs> If I turn left instead, I'll drive to Florida and the Atlantic Ocean, and I'll be looking out over Spain. Now, those roads don't lead to the same place. And, and, and it's not logical and common sense to think that all roads lead to the same place. It, it, it's, you, you can say, well, yeah, maybe they do if you're, all roads are going up a mountain. But, but there, there's, there's common sense that says What's true for me needs to also be true for you if it's truly objectively true. And so I, I have trouble with Hinduism, but I also appreciate the fact that Hinduism is trying to seek to reach all people and bring all people in to a greater enlightenment. Uh, I would just urge the Hindus to understand the greater enlightenment is that there is a God who is personality who is uh, outside of creation, who seeks us in one life to find fellowship with him and to transform us. And so there, there is a truth that that goes beyond the Hindu truth uh, that, that gives greater meaning, I think, to life and greater explanation for life. 
Yeah, how does Hinduism speak of the Lord Jesus Christ? And indeed, how does Hinduism, can we say that Hinduism points to Christ even? Well, I think it does in some ways. And 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 I would I wouldn't I would say it this way. I would say Hinduism prepares the heart to receive Christ. Because Hinduism recognizes that there's got to be life beyond where we are today. In the Hindu mentality, it's going to be a rebirth or a reincarnation after this life that's going to, to get you into another position based upon how well you've handled this life. And, and that, that, that's got a, a ring of truth to it, but it's not full truth. But it prepares someone to understand there is an idea of rebirth. And there is an idea of life after death. And, and, and it is based on choices that we make now. Not that we earn it, there's a difference, but that we can choose to embrace a God who can justly give us a life after death that's eternal. And so I think Hinduism can help prepare the heart of, of someone to better understand and receive Christ because Christ answers some of the problems that Hinduism is not able to answer. What about Buddhism? I find this a fascinating faith. Um, Buddha certainly spoke of the Lord Jesus in quite an amazing way. Um, what are some of the chief characteristics of Buddhism? Well, Buddhism has at its root a, a desire to get rid of pain and suffering. And, and, and Buddhism recognizing that pain and suffering is is a is a huge problem um it, with individuals set forward four noble truths about pain and suffering what hinduism tries to do at its core is disassociate us from pain and suffering and 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 there is a, a pointing to christ in a way in that because christ uh, uh, recognizes pain and suffering is not a good thing. God didn't make us to to suffer. Uh, suffering is not His creation. We we shouldn't be blaming God for the suffering of this world. Um, but but whereas Buddhism says you just need to cease in all of your desires and disassociate from from suffering, the the cry of Christ. And the cry of Christianity is, you need to fight against suffering. It is a noble battle to engage in the fight against suffering. Jesus came to, uh, to preach and teach compassion, and he wants to find those who are suffering and find those who are hurting, and he would seek them out and seek to love them and encourage them. You know, uh, uh, to quote Bob Dylan, to get shelter from the storm. You know, God, God is, is looking to to not just tell you to stay away from the valley of shadow of death, but but to be there with you, to walk through it with you. And, and so I like the way Buddha points to the need to deal with suffering. But I think that where Buddha falls short is Buddha says the answer is to just disassociate from it. You know, the, there was, uh, uh, my, my work is one where I deal with a lot of suffering. Uh, I I uh, have um, maybe I, I think I have the record verdict in America for 
uh, personal injury cases. In other words, cases where people have been hurt. And it arrived out of Johnson & Johnson's baby powder and talc powder products. Those products had been laced with asbestos. And asbestos is a known causer of, of, uh, of ovarian cancer in women. And, and so I took those cases on and fought against Johnson & Johnson with women who were dying from ovarian cancer. And instead of simply saying, well, just accept in nobility the suffering you're going through and don't worry about it, you'll move to another life afterwards, just disassociate. Instead, as a Christian, I was, let's engage in this battle and let's fight to make it stop. And we were able to not only win the, the, the verdict that, that, that was transformative in the lives of those women, but as a result of that, I believe, um, uh, Johnson & Johnson quit selling this powder all over the world. And and so now the powder's made instead of with talc that has asbestos, it's made with cornstarch. Now that that's the Christian call. The Christian call is to uh, engage in battle against suffering. You know, we pray Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because we're seeking in the midst of the suffering which God deplores. I mean, Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, but he didn't simply weep. He raised him from the dead. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and we're called as Christians, as followers of Christ, not to disassociate from suffering. But yes, like Buddha said, recognize suffering is something to be dealt with, but we deal with it properly with Jesus Christ. And, and the balm of Christ. Yes, and there I fear we will have to stop as we're almost out of time on this call, but we've had a chance to talk about a couple of the major faiths at least. Ian, as we, or just before we close, further questions for Mark? Comments? One one comment is I've always wondered about the similarities between nihilism and Buddhism. They seem in, in kind of, at least the outcome, very, very similar, don't they? If yeah. not in their, their kind of, the basis is not exactly the same, but the outcome is very similar, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so, because this whole idea of, of just let the world go by and let all of this, you know, if you don't want anything and you don't find pleasure, then you won't find suffering. And that's that at its root is nihilism. I think that's a very fair thing to assume, Ian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one, one little comment, just question is, you, know, you just saying you're talking to the Jewish man yesterday, but how do you, what do you use as a kind of a, just as a starter uh, to just to start those conversations and in being interested in people of different faiths. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoin them straight from the heart of God. I try to at least. And I told him, I said, yeah, I said, I know God still weeps over that. I know he was weeping <laughs> over that. I know that that, that is, is deplorable in his sight. And boy, don't you know, he charges us to do something about that. And right now there are places in this world where people are still being killed and treated mis. Uh, wrongly for their faith and for other reasons. And and we need to be engaging in the battle for good. And I said, you know, the interesting part is if there was no God, who says that it was wrong? Mm. Very profound response to a very special conversation. Mark, thank you very much. Mark Lanier, he's just published this new book with IVP America called Religions on Trial. A lawyer examines Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and more. Get hold of a copy. Uh, there's far more in it than we've even begun to touch on in this uh, half hour. But thank you, Mark, so much. And uh, thanks to my uh, co-host, Ian, Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who 
sponsor this podcast and to take care of things behind the scenes. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you, Brent. It's a joy to be here. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.